0: episode 88 of strange brow radio i am your host Tobe johnson and today we are speaking to guest charles ward who has had trouble sleeping you think you've had trouble sleeping this guy it's uh it's a really intense interview and charles uh is still dealing with the phenomena so in a moment um More in depth regarding the story of Charles Ward But thank you to Manresa Castle For not only still having your doors open But just for being you Check out Manresa Castle Make it a destination event Just like you would Disneyland or any other place It's kind of the Disneyland of gothic ghost You've seen it on Ghost Adventures Now book a trip to stay in Port Townsend The weather's good The Olympic Peninsula is calling, so why aren't you here already? All right, more in a moment regarding Charles' case and some news. We'll be right back. The Travel Channel. Well an extension of them uh, gave me a call yet again they're shooting another sasquatch documentary film i don't think it's a documentary i think it's a little mini series show on on one of the travel channel type networks and they are actively seeking people to reach out to in washington state they will be filming up here for the next couple months i don't know how they're going to do that in the wave of a Uh, burgeoning pandemic, but they're doing it. And so, uh, I reach out to you. If you have had an experience with Sasquatch, not my version particularly of Sasquatch, I'm thinking, uh, they're thinking actually more of like roadside crossing, scientific data, you know, the, the flesh and blood answer. And if that's your bag, um, Get in touch with me at strangebrowradio at gmail.com. And so they're looking for witnesses to interview, places to go, people to see, and uh, video to capture. So that's their offer. I I threw out a couple names, but um, they want to stay particularly close, I think, from the sound of it in and around Olympia and Seattle area. Mount Rainier maybe come out to the Olympics so again reach out to me strangebrowradio at gmail.com I can't really go into more detail about that but um, that's the word on the street and that's the skinny and that's my news element for you I really don't have anything else other than the fact I just got back from a camp out with uh, two guests that I interviewed who I call Citizen 1 and 2 and that will be a Patreon episode coming out for Patreon members, and it uh, surrounds an interview with someone who got hired at Area Fifty One, and did they take the job? Didn't they take the job? Well, that's why you got to join Patreon.com forward slash Strange Radio. Really interesting conversation with Citizen One and Citizen Two at a uh, it was a two day interview, really, but uh, only a couple hours of it recorded, and we did have interaction. I left out the recorder in a couple different spots, and there were some crunch-crunch footsteps coming in on the recorder that sounded like bipedal walking, and then a lot of wood knocks. But there's campers, and that could have very well explained the wood knocks, but definitely not the bipedal walking up to the recorder. This is a a national park, a beautiful national park in the Olympic Peninsula, and they absolutely have a legitimate sign up, I wouldn't say warning, but letting people know about the habitat on the trailhead. So they go over harbor seals, flying squirrels, which I didn't even know we had, and uh, blue herons. And then at the very end, there's a picture of a Sasquatch. And it just is very matter of fact the way it is about anything else biological up in the, the forest there and uh, their habitat and explains certain characteristics of Sasquatch. So, anyway, is that why we went to the park? Yeah, kind of, but uh, it's a stunning, stunning park. Uh, white beaches, which are hard to come by here, of crushed oyster shells, rock oysters. So, if you're a shellfish fanatic like me, uh, it it was a good time laying out on that that beach, looking over in a a blue lagoon that was warm, tepid, warm, beautiful water. And there's nothing like uh, a blue sky and a white beach and a can of rainier. (laughs) I also learned that my proclivity to not mention the beautiful (laughs) recipe uh, the 25 to 75% solution of Rainier beer with pulp orange juice is not just called an Orinthal, but is, as I learned this weekend, called a Brassy Sasquatch. So that was just all kismet. So go grab yourself a Brassy Sassy and let me know what you think of it. That's 25% pulp OJ. Get the good stuff. And then get yourself a bottom-shelf beer and have a summer cookout. Try one. It's a, it's a poor man's redneck mimosa, is all it amounts to. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get into our interview. Charles Ward is my guest today, and it's, uh, it's been some time since I've interviewed Charles. Uh, I wanted to sit back and, and see how things went out. So this may be a part one of several parts down the road with him concerning his case, and whoever is keeping him up at night. All right, here we go. My interview with Charles Ward. All right, on the line with me now is Charles Ward in Arizona. Charles, uh, how are you?
1: Good, how are you doing,
0: Tob? Good, man. Hey, I, uh, I got an email from you regarding some similar situations, uh, previous situations and maybe current situations uh, in the uh, theme of sleep paralysis, and the uh, prior episode that we did off of episode 82, and um, you said that there was some not only some sleep paralysis stuff, but maybe some other stuff too along the way that led up to that point. So, um, I'm going to uh, give the floor to you and kind of just walk, you know, the audience through the beginning of uh, what you uh, noticed. As you were growing up with this, if it started that early, or um, I'm just going to kind of step back and let you have the mic here and I probably have some questions along the way, but go ahead, Charles okay, yeah, um, with my uh, experience in the Marines,
1: um, more like you know, uh, you know we stood fire watches, and it wasn't until we were on second phase of uh, boot camp that we were Doing our uh, range training, basically uh, qualifying with the M16, and I had a drill instructor that was a four-three-con scout sniper, and I was made. In, I was. I'm an artist, so he wanted me to do the range flag. Well, we've been cycling through our fire watches and everything, and got kind of used to that being woken up in the middle of the night. Well, it was. One night we're getting ready to qualify and the range flag wasn't done. So, about uh, 12 31 o'clock in the morning, I feel something touching my nose. <laughs> I look up and, or I open my eyes, and it's Sergeant Sharon, my drill instructor. And his, his little, little voice is like, Or are you going to finish my range flag? And it really scared the shit out of me. So, literally I was up the rest of the night, finished the flag, and did qual. So in that, it kind of goes on to other deployments, you know, if you're in a hostile area, like I was in Somalia, that you really didn't sleep with both eyes shut. You kind of had one open most of the time. And, uh, so you're ready you know, at any moment there if something happened, you're up and ready to go. But, uh, that kind of came into play. About a year and a half later, I was uh, stationed in 29 Palms. And I had kind of a sketchy roommate and uh, came in one night drunk and uh, basically tried to attack me. And if it hadn't have been for that, that reflex, you know, him touching the bed, I stood up and we got in a tussle and wound up sending him to the uh, – um, was in the sick bay with uh, a severely dislocated shoulder so it was not a good night but you know just uh, kind of going through that like i said on the somali deployment we uh i was a refrigeration mechanic that became a utilities journeyman and so we had to do a gin watch along with coinciding with our fire watch and uh I almost got rode up one night because I left the post because I thought there was somebody coming into the compound. And I wound up chasing a couple shadows, which I don't know where they came from. And what got me in trouble, it was right next to officers' quarters. And my yelling at them to uh, stop and halt woke the officers up. And when the MP showed up, there was nobody there. And I couldn't really explain why I was off post and yelling and screaming at, you know, two o'clock in the morning. But, uh, just kind of that experience has kind of had me for a couple of years, you know, really, uh, um, sleep sensitive. Like, if I can, that's the only way I can kind of put it. You know, it's, it, There was only really the roommate thing after I got back from Somalia until I got out. And uh, got out and went back home and I found a little house to rent, which it was more or less a shed, which is all I could really afford at the time. And that's when a lot of the really scary stuff started happening. that I didn't really realize that You know, it could have been, you know, a precursor to, you know, sleep paralysis, which I had no idea of back in, that would be 95.
0: Right. And so, 95, are you uh, talking to anybody about this? Are you keeping this to yourself? Pretty much
1: keeping it to myself. Truthfully, you're really the only person I've ever really talked to about this kind of stuff happening to me. and. Uh, along with some of the other stuff but it always if i had brought anything up you know it was always oh you're just being silly you got an overactive imagination you know uh that really doesn't happen and it, even with my own wife she you know kind of just disclaims it and with the one experience that happened in december she i it actually woke her up when it happened and now she's not quite in line,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I can't really talk to her about it. It just, it's one of those situations where I don't everybody thinking I'm weird and crazy. Right,
0: right. I'm actually kind of weird and crazy anyway. Right. And this has a way of making you feel that way. Or, um, tell us uh, where we're headed from here. What happens next? Okay, well,
1: I've stayed with my parents for the first two weeks after I'd gotten out and after being on my own for you know the last four years, I'm like you uh, know this ain't happening, and uh, so I went to a local realtor, found a uh, went looked at a couple places to rent, and found one that was within my budget, and I'm like literally it was a 600 square foot shack that I I think it was built in the 30s when. My hometown was kind of booming, but, um, I'd been in there a couple of months and everything was going fine. And I was asleep one night and it felt like somebody literally jumped on me in bed. And of course my reaction is to come up fighting. You know, and, and that's what I did. I came up, I, I, I felt weight on me, and I don't know if it was just the, the blankets, but I flung the blankets off of me, and they landed about eight to 10 feet away from me in the bathroom doorway. And what was weird was there was enough light coming in from the side window. It looked like somebody had walked out of the bathroom and kicked the edge of the blanket back at me and that really freaked me out so i pretty much backed up in bed and just sit there and i wa- I, I watched the blankets until morning i had to get to go to work and it goes on a couple months later and it's, it's starting to get winter time here in arizona and this place all it had was one small wall heater and things got uh, this is what kind of happened stuff would happen more and more if I had a girl over and I don't know what that pertains to but uh, met a girl had her over well the next night I get awakened to, I mean, it feels like sub zero temperatures in this little house. And I go and I check the heater and the pilot light has been blown out. And so this is like three, four o'clock in the morning. I get the pilot light lit up and I cranked up the heater and it does not seem like it's heating the house. And, uh, I kind of developed a, a cough. I call on the work. I didn't call I had to drive in work because I didn't have a phone at the house. And this was way before cell phones or a cell phone I could afford and get the riot accurate, it didn't work. And, you know, the whole, you know, just tough it out. And, oh, there's no, I'm trying to, oh, a couple, after that happens. I go and it's probably February, and I come home from work, and the bathroom is flooded. And I'm like, what is going on here? Because when I left that morning, the sinks were off, the toilet was fine, the shower was off. And everything was still off, but the bathroom was flooded. So I called the realtor, I said, hey, this is going on blah along He says, if you clean it up yourself, I'll take a little bit off your rent and we'll try to figure out where the water came from. So I checked all the connections under the sink, uh, the toilet hose, all that kind of stuff. But we, I couldn't figure out where the water came from. And it was June after that. I, so said, I come home from work, the bathroom's flooded again, and but I look at the side of the house and there's a huge uh, damp spot where the water connection comes into the house. And so I, I go to the utilities, turn off the, the water, dig everything up, and I can't find a crack, break. Or anything into the input line. Call them up the realtor again, and same thing. You clean it up. I'll take some money off your your rent, and go from there. Do that a couple months later. I go out, and this thing had an old. You remember the uh, ammonia refrigerators? big cast iron built with refrigerators. Yes. And this thing was rock steady the whole time. Well, I meet my future ex and she comes over and hit anybody there from the other experiences until she comes in and go out that Friday and by groceries, restock the refrigerator. She comes over Friday night, goes back home Saturday. Well, I wake up Sunday morning, the refrigerator's off and it actually recycled and heated the chamber and ruined everything in there. So by this time, I'm getting pretty fed up and I was about a year, not quite a year and a half into living in this place.
0: And And again, uh, what year, Charles?
1: It's ninety five, ninety six. Got it. And so, I, you know, it's my ex. We we found another place. We move out, and then a lot of the, the stuff stops. And just prior to moving out, oh, I'm trying to. I gotta. Two water leaks refrigerator. Oh, and the microwave. I bought a brand new microwave, had it there probably three months. And go to use it one day and open the door and it's full of cockroaches. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And that's one of it was kind of the final straws when I started looking for another place. And I never really had much of a
0: bug problem in the house. Right. Brand new microwave right out of the box kind of deal. About three months. Right. And
1: uh, it, I'm, I'm not saying full of cockroaches. It was enough that I I didn't want to reuse it anymore. It was, mm-hmm. there was five, six, seven or eight cockroaches inside the cooking area. And it's like, that's one of my small things. I have a real phobia about cockroaches.
0: Mm-hmm. And meanwhile your landlord you've made two phone calls to him over water damage. I imagine there's probably some kind of damage to the drywall or somewhere, right? To the subfloor. No, this this was a concrete building. Okay. It was it I
1: almost it's not quite like Adobe, but it was more of like a concrete walls, and or outside walls, I and mean, then the interior walls were state-built. Um, even in the bathroom, it was like a drop floor. Okay. And so nothing ever really got water damaged. Right. It always seemed like it would get to that level to the drop floor and stuff.
0: Okay. And so was there any, any... Was there anything in your landlord's uh, response to you calling him that sounded like this was news to him or was did he maybe was he feel like he was hiding anything that he knew this place was had an issue
1: not really i i really i had known the guy from when i was a kid and uh uh his daughter had married a friend of the family that's how i knew him and it was his son's property that he managed and and at the time I didn't really know what I had, I hadn't really gotten into, you know, what we all call, you know, the paranormal time. So I was kind of, uh, uh naive to the fact of stuff, you know, the stuff that was going on.
0: Right. And cockroaches and water damage don't equate ghost or, you know, uh, anything else other than, an issue, but you're sensing more going on than just bad craftsmanship.
1: Yeah, and well, like I said the initial the jump on, uh, you know, at the time, I I kind of had said something to my dad, and he says it's just nerves because I had been out of, you know, a kind of controlled, um, what can I say, lifestyle or, um, I, 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 don't know. I can't put that. It was just me trying to readjust that I was trying to adjust to civilian lifestyle and I was mm-hmm. had other things going on that. And other than that, that's, I took it at that and just kept going. But when all this, some of the other stuff happened, I, I don't know. I didn't put much thought to it until like I said, my dad passing, uh, five years ago. And in the last five years I've been doing a lot of rethinking about, you know, well, what, what happened with this kind of thing? And, what was it Charles about
0: your dad's passing again that, uh, brought this up?
1: It was very sudden. Nobody knew. Uh, let me kind of get into that. Um, I get a call from my best friend one Friday morning and. Telling me that his dad had passed away. That night. And me and his dad were, were really good friends. He was a, a force recon marine. And me and him had gotten into. A little bit of trouble in Nevada. And Nobody knew he was sick up until three weeks before he eventually passed. And so me and my buddy had planned on driving to uh, Houston for the memorial. There's some other family events going on and I was going to take my daughter to my sister's for a sleepover with her cousin because we won't be there for her birthday. Well, on. On the way to taking her over there, I, well, look, I was going to call my dad that, that Friday night, cause he he'd been going to the VA for some medical issues. And it kind of got me thinking and I was, I was pretty much going to call him and she was asked, you know, something's going on. You better let us kids know kind of thing. Cause I didn't want to happen to our family, what happened to my buddies. Well, being that said, on the way to drop my daughter off, I get a phone call, come over to the car and it was dad's number. And I answered the call when it was my mom. Well, I, I said, Hey dad, what's going on? And it was my mom. And she's like, uh, I found dad this morning. And I'm like, we found what? And is. Yeah, they just put him in the ambulance and taken him away. And when he found him, What is he okay? And she said, No, he's dead. And so I had my dad and a very good friend that was kind of my father. She did passed away for within 40 hours. And it was why we were in my hometown when something else happened, but I don't know if that really relegates to the street paralysis part of this, but it, there was scary shit going
0: on. Right. Well, I mean, it's a, it reshuffled the deck for you as far as your priorities. I mean, it was a traumatic event. I mean, you had no warning at all about any of this.
1: Yeah. And it, it's I was We go do the whole thing, come back, and that kind of opened my eyes to a lot of, you know, some of the stuff I experienced, but I really couldn't talk to anybody about it. You know, we're at my mom's, you know, the week of the funeral, and there was these people in the house that I had no idea who the hell they were. And this girl latched onto me, and I'm like, uh, I don't know you. Who are you? And she kept saying, Oh, we're just here for you. We're here for you. My mom was, was bawling her eyes out, and this was we'd already been pretty a couple days into it, and everybody was pretty much emotionally stable. And I'm like, Mom, what's going on? She's I don't know. I'm just crying, and these people in the house were just fixated on us. And I ask my mom, this girl's holding up and I said, who are these people? And she said, no, we're here for you. And I'm like, no, who are you? And I push her away. And I get scratched on the face. It was, uh, it was almost like somebody, like a, a hot needle down my left cheek. And I know what the and grab my eye because I, I thought it was gonna hit my eye. And everybody backed out, and my wife is standing there. she's like, what's going on this? I don't know. It feels like somebody scratched me, and I have enough of it. These people are getting on my nerves, I said, all right, everybody needs to leave. We have to be, this is where we're going to go for the viewing. And as they're leaving, I feel something rake my chest. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And like so on my face, it instantly raised like a water blister. And I mean within ten to fifteen seconds it raised and it I didn't I t- I was holding it because it hurt and it popped. And about that time as they were leaving, I had felt the same sensation on my uh left chest and my right shoulder. And the same thing happened there. And it wasn't until, I'm trying to think when it was, it, somebody was talking about psychic vampires, but I need to get back to the house in my hometown because we had, I moved to Nevada.
0: Well, before you so go, go there, there Charles, it, before you go there, I want okay. to ask you about these people. Uh, they show up to your father's wake, Correct. No, they're at my mother's. My dad's house. Okay, but you're there for the he, you're there after the funeral. We're getting ready to go to the private family viewing. Okay, got you. And so the, and these people show up, and people other people can see them.
1: Yes, my mom apparently, and after this, I my mom totally clammed up. She would not explain who they were. Um, she was going through some. Um, Not just my father's passing; she was going through some AA thing, and I don't know if it was acquaintances from that, or I, I had no idea who these people were, and she would not tell me who they were.
0: Okay, so you and, could see them. Your mother could see them. Could your uh, oh, my girl, wife could see everybody. Could see.
1: Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. They were totally corporeal. They they were people there. I, I don't know how. So that whole week was very stressful.
0: Man. Right. So, but at the moment when this gal says we're here for you and you push her away and you feel a scratch, uh, who did you see something scratch you or did the scratch seem to come at the same time as you pushed this woman away? Was she related to the scratch? Tell, take us back to that moment.
1: Yeah, I, I think so because I didn't. I just kind of push her away and there was no hands to the face. Um, and it was just like somebody swiped in my eyeball is what I can akin to. And, but there was, I did not see anything in front of my face, which if I would have, I probably would have knocked it away and hurt, hurt somebody's shoulder.
0: What was her response when you pushed her away? Was it normal? Yeah, it's just like well, what? Okay.
1: And okay. I I it just it, it, the whole it, that whole day was very unnerving sure, yeah. That's that when I got it. to chew my yeah. That's when I got to chew my dad out about not calling us that like he's laying there on his lap.
0: Okay, before we go there, now let's talk about what happened to your chest and your arms. Are you saying that you felt manifestations boils on your body? Did you say boils? Yes. Okay. Like a, like a water blister. Yeah. And you've and, never gotten those before?
1: No. It it, it felt like a, a, a heat burn. And... And all of this happened within minutes of the, the first cheek slash, as you know, as I was pretty much running everybody out of the house.
0: Okay. So, and how how quickly did those boils show themselves? Were they immediate? Did it take several minutes? It was almost immediate. Mm-hmm.
1: Have you ever had an acid
0: uh water water burn. never a heat burn but never acid no almost like
1: a, like a battery acid burn it was almost kind of like that
0: but getting yeah, back to these people i, I don't want to beat a dead horse here about these people are they these people that showed up you've you don't feel as though they're some kind of manifestation of these injuries or do you
1: yeah, everything happened within them being in proximity.
0: And we have, do so we have any I idea who say, they are today?
1: No, I don't. I can't, I, and I still can't get
0: my mom to talk about it. Well, why would that be? i asked them, Do you have any idea why know. that would be? I don't know.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if the whole AA Association
0: gotcha. Okay. Um, Maybe it's just an anonymity for the fact that they're an AA. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to clear that up. So you go ahead. Okay. Um, I kind of
1: got, I kind of got off of where I was trying to take this whole thing. Uh, Oh, uh, how I how I found out about the HAG syndrome, like you were saying, the, the sleep paralysis. Uh, me and my wife, we had just moved from northern Nevada back down to uh, Phoenix, and I'd started a job, and I was working nights. I'd kind of been listening to uh, Coast to Coast when I was in, in Nevada when I could, but you know, working nights, you know, pair of headphones on a, you know, radio, started listening to it pretty well. So I was starting to get into the stuff, you know, always kind of been a big foot guy. We were supposed to go to Loch Ness last May or this May, but you know how all that turned out. And uh, there was one night I was on my way home and I forget who she was. They were talking about the hag experience and I could not get home fast enough to try and call in my experience at the house in my hometown. It was the whole, you know, feeling the weight jump on me and, you know, you know, everything that came after that. And I, that's the first time I said something to my wife and that's when I kind of got the, Oh yeah, really? I'm sure he did kind of thing. And I was like, okay. And that's, when I kind of started keeping everything to myself, then.
0: But uh, so your your wife has not seen anything or had anything happen.
1: Not that she said to me until this last uh, December twenty sixth experience.
0: The day after Christmas. Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah, cause you... there have been times that. What's up? Go ahead. Yeah, um, okay, let me look at this one here. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of what else to go from there until you get, we get up to this last December because mm-hmm. there's been a few, I'm like I said, slight wrestling matches. I filled something on me. Mm-hmm um wrestle, throw it off. And I can always I remember hearing it in one of these not so long ago, you know, call the Lord's name and tell it to leave. And I can remember doing that, but it was always through clenched teeth. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you just kind of, you know, Jesus man, get off me kind of you know, kind of thing. And it might take one or two times saying it and then everything would go back to normal and I go back to sleep but up until that time uh this last December well let me put this in before we get into that uh my niece in Nevada was kind of growing out of her little kids toys and my mother-in-law was up there visiting so she sent a bunch of her toys down to my daughter and I'm not sure if the exact name is, um, an American girl doll. They're like the kind of like the life realistic dolls.
0: Right. Right. They were kind of big in the nineties. Yeah. Um, she
1: sent one of those down and the first time I saw it, it creeped me the hell out. And I, I told him, I said, you keep that in your room. I I don't want nothing to do with that. Well, my wife thought it was funny to put it around the house, I should say. And then my daughter thought it was funny, so it was a thing, a thing to creep that out. So finally, I I hid it from him, but. December twenty six in our experience is what really got me. And I don't know if it was me yelling that woke her up or what it was, but we were asleep. We'd been in, uh, out of town, came back home, and we were getting ready to go on a trip to Legoland the next day. And we were asleep and... I know the exact time because I look when I grabbed my phone and turned the light on to look under the bed, it was three thirty seven and I'd laid in the bed for a couple minutes, so it was probably right around three thirty. My is my foot was I kicked off the covers and I feel something almost like a full hand grip fingers and a thumb, grab my right big toe and go to pull it through the footboard of our bed frame. And when my one toe hit the frame is when I jumped and said, what the fuck is that? And I lay down, I pull the covers over my feet and laying there and then just kind of you know that little adrenaline jump kind of shaking a little bit and my wife says what's wrong I'm like nothing well, she gets up goes to the bathroom and so I'm like oh, was it one of the we had cats they're 15 years old and they used to do that kind of play with their feet at night I'm like it can't be one of the cats. Grab my phone, turn the light on, look under the bed. the bedroom door is closed. I look around the room. There's nothing in the room. And she asks, "You all right?" Says, "Yeah, I'm all right." We go back to bed. And this is this is a little bit different experience. I was laying in the bed. And just as I was dozing off, it was probably close to a little after four. It felt like somebody grabbed the, the bed covers and were shaking them like to clear them out. And I'm trying to grab them and I feel something walk around the side of me and I forearmed it. I was laying on my left side. I swept my arm, my right arm across. It the felt the, the blankets move. Then it quit all the time. My wife is sitting or sleeping next to me, not moving, not saying anything or didn't even know about it or interact with it. So after that, a couple of days go by and I don't know what time this was because it didn't fully totally wake me up, but I was asleep and it felt like somebody, it woke me up enough. And I realized it happened. Like somebody ran their finger from my heel to my big toe on my left foot through the covers, just kind of a, mm-hmm. and that's when I started throwing blankets at the foot of the bed to keep my feet under. Because I, that happened, and. The next night I I'd sit there on the edge of the bed, I was really tired, and I just kind of said a little prayer. I'm like, come on guys, I don't know what the hell's going on here, but let me get some freaking sleep. And it went away for a while. So I am I'm not really hope you know, sure on um, you know what that whole situation is.
0: I want to go back to the moment where you described something pulling your foot at the headboard there. The way I understood it and set me straight here, Charles, is that something reached through the headboard and was trying to pull your foot through the headboard. Is that, or not the foot, the headboard, but the foot, the foot of the bed.
1: Yes. Yeah, it was like Like I said, I felt fully felt something encircle my toe and pull it, and it was like, just just as my, well, my middle toe or my foot hit the iron work, you know, it, it, it took just a couple seconds, and then I realized, you know, what the hell is going on here?
0: Okay, but there were slats for it to reach through there. It wasn't like it was trying to pull your foot through... Uh, you know, something and apport it, you know, through another dimension oh, no, or anything no, like that. Okay, gotcha.
1: No, it's it's like a wrought iron footboard.
0: So there's plenty of space in between the uh, metal work. And you felt a hand, you felt the nails, the thumbs. Did you feel the anatomy of what it was? I didn't
1: feel nails, but I felt like a fully encompassing grip. Fingers and thumbs. And it, I mean, I felt that and then boom, my toe hit and
0: mm-hmm. it was on. And so your wife not messed with at all during that night, just responding to you?
1: No, no. She
0: responded to me waking up and cussing. Right. Which is that normal for you? I mean, given everything you've been through. Uh, There's been some sleepwalk walking issues. Right. But that was when I was going to school. Right.
1: She uh, caught me uh, right. trying to uh, put the bathroom in the dryer mm-hmm. in the laundry room when I was trying to get to the bathroom. But I was, like I said, I'm, you know, I was working a 10 to 12 hour shift and doing two to three hours of homework at work or at night when I got home. And then going to school five to six
0: hours during the day. Dude, you must have been exhausted. I mean, you were living. Almost the exact life I was living when I got out of the service. Because if you don't have a contract job when you get out, or you go directly to school and you're trying to pay for it, even with the GI Bill, it's it's still tough. I mean, it, I remember those years. It's it's physically exhausting.
1: Oh yeah, lot of That I got now. I was a certified refrigeration mechanic. And Like I said, I go back to my hometown. It's a small town. It's maybe 10 to 12,000 people within the whole valley. And there was two AC companies there and applied to both of them. And they're like, you're more qualified than our senior uh, mechanics or uh, refrigerant guys. I basically couldn't get a job in my hometown so i went to work at a a small company you know working on a wash rack at a hydraulic repair place and i worked my way up through that to where i'm at now and with at that company wound up going with them moving to northern nevada and managing their shop up there until i said i had a falling out with the owner admit my wife we got married Moved back to Phoenix, and about eight months later, I started going to school. But I was working a full time job with another uh, machinery company. Company, and like I said, it was—I literally worked a 21 hour day for three years.
0: Yeah, and of course, I'm wondering if the exhaustion, given the fact that things had already started, um. Let me ask you this. Did things start before Somalia?
1: Other than the drill instructor waking me up, that's the only thing I can really remember. uh, A little bit of a shadow incident when I was in junior high in a cemetery. Um,
0: But you weren't hounded. I I mean, you're being hounded right now. You're being... You know, hounded with hounded with often compared to the the average person. And let's go back to Somalia for a second, because um, there may be something interesting there, maybe not. But when you're in Somalia, what uh, what kind of detail did you have? Were you in combat? Were you in Mogadishu? Were you up against the shit?
1: Uh, I was in Mogadishu. We were at the embassy. Um, I got there. Seven days after the initial landing, uh, I had a stew MRE for my Christmas dinner on top of a tent that I was wiring in. Um, Did a couple uh, runs. When it calmed down a little bit, uh, we'd go out on patrol and do weapons confiscation
0: patrols. Uh, That means confiscating weapons from rebel fighters in Mogadishu? Yes. Okay. Most Just of to give give, give a little bit of context to the younger listener here about what the hell we're talking about because they they don't know about Mogadishu in the same way that you do Black Hawk Down style stuff. So, um give give a little context to what what this war was.
1: Okay, I was there 5 months before Black Hawk Down. I left 5 months before Black Hawk Down. I was there from December to the first of may. Um, it was, a, it was a cluster, man. Cause you go in and you clear a building. Like we, we cleared an orphanage and a week later a care worker got killed there. And, but we were so, uh, our hands were tied, you know, they send us out, like I said, I'm there, I'm there as a refrigeration mechanic, utilitiesman. and once all that got set up, we're sitting lifting weights and running all day, you know, it's it gets freaking boring, so we'd go volunteer for, for patrols, and they send us out, and okay, unless they point the weapon at you, you can't do anything. And we'd go in, and most of the stuff we brought back, I mean, a gunsmith can get this, this shit running, with, you know. But, you know, when we're sitting at a, a a stop sign and we start taking rounds from across street, you know, you get down and, I don't know, just put your head in a whole not- nother mindset. And it's kind of like I said, the whole sleep prowess thing, I, You're right. alert
0: 24-7. And it, your, your head's on a swivel, and I'm, sh- I'm sure you lost people. Is that correct? Did you lose comrades in battle?
1: Uh, no. That's the funny thing. Uh, I said most of the time I was out in the shed, and, you know, it was, we had to go pick up a generator at the airport to go get this sick bay back up. You know, and it was a lot of convoy stuff. I had one major engagement where I fired three rounds. But yet what you're up against, they were like, come on, we're trying to hear that fricking help you. And like, there was one, one thing we went, we took a, uh, a Russian pistol away from a 10 year old kid that there was so much shit in the barrel, it never would have fired. And oh, wow, there, there was one day. I was running the uh, wash bay for the showers and laundry, and we had an infantry guy come up and goes, "Hey, uh, can you run the showers? I had, I got to get ready to go home. And his buddy got killed that morning on the morning patrol, and you know I fired everything up and got him, you know, cleaned up and out the, out the door. But you know there was, you know, we were we were digging a power line and came across a skeleton. And there was one one thing we went through. We we kicked in the door on a house that had been empty, or it seemed to be vacant for a while, and there was there was a body in there. You know, it's just you know, they kill them and leave them.
0: Right. Well, and it was just. I mean, it was a total clusterfuck from head to toe. Uh, with what was happening and why we we're there, and the fact that uh, you know your hands were tied by the uh, Clinton administration, right, Janet Reno?
1: Oh yeah, after after they took over in January, it was a cluster fucking times two, right? Um, and they had a riot at the front gate where they, uh, and I've never seen any of this covered. We, it's they they uh, I kind of remember that. They put a tire around their neck, soaked in gasoline. and They burnt this woman because she was accused of having sex with an American for food. And we had to stand there and we couldn't open fire. We couldn't try to disperse the crowd. We couldn't do anything. And, you know, and we're all there and we're getting the newspaper and all of a sudden Waco goes down. I remember reading about that in the newspaper. that was two and a half weeks old. I'm like, what the? was going on at
0: home, you know. Right. Yeah, no, it was a it was a crazy year. 92, 93, and ninety four were uh real big uh cluster F's for sure. But my point is with Somalia here too is that uh you know when I've heard this before from not necessarily other people that have come onto the show but I've heard other Vets talk about being over in Baghdad, being over in Afghanistan, being over in Somalia and um, Muslim nations and experiencing attachments when they come back. Is that something you've ever looked into? Have you researched other vets that have talked about something attaching themselves from an Arab land like a jinn? Are you familiar with the the djinn?
1: Yes. Yeah, okay. I've heard some of the podcasts of some of the... You mentioned it that i'm wondering now with the whole shadow people thing and getting in trouble because when i try to talk to anybody when i was still over there like oh you're just saying things i'm like no it literally looked like somebody was running at me and then when i posted at them they ran the other way right um i I'm trying to remember which one I heard it on about a gin climbing up a wall. This one didn't happen. It it was like I was chasing a shadow Mm -hmm. and there was just enough light. We had the portable lights up. It was dark as hell there all the time Mm -hmm. anyway. So anytime you got any kind of ambient light, you know, it
0: was. Right. Right. I'll, uh, I'll direct you to some, uh, personal videos here from previous guests that uh, show some pretty detailed shadow beings and how they move around, uh, and it may be uh, eerily similar to what you're describing. Uh, we also need to dance, or I don't really want to dance around anything at all, Charles, but when you're in a war footing like this, you experience a certain amount of trauma, and sometimes it follows you after your service, are, were you evaluated after you left the service as having any symptoms of PTSD that would mimic what you've had going on? No. So you're not, there's no disability or nothing like that? No.
1: I uh, uh, said so I left there. I. I When I literally got back to Okinawa, I turned in my, my desert gear and I was in four days. I was back. I was back on a plane to come home to my next duty station. Because that's how close it was. On my, de- I actually won a month over my my one year overseas deployment. Right. While I was in
0: Somalia. Right. Okay. And so you got a full medical, uh, dis or evaluation, and an honorable discharge, and everything worked out for you on that end. And so you're not, you weren't treated afterwards for... How about any, uh, had you ever reach out to anybody that was in your squadron at all and talk to them about any similarities? Did you maintain any relationships with anybody that was in your unit?
1: I tried to. It was, it was uh, we were, uh, we're a enhancement unit. So they pulled from all over, the uh, core got gotcha. going for, and there was one buddy I tried to stay close because me and him got in a little bit of trouble. And I'm on boss Kenya, and uh, it, there was no real unit attachment, so it was kind of hard, you know, to keep in touch by mail or that kind of stuff, back right? Then.
0: Okay, so they pulled from everywhere because the uh, the the fact that it was a fluid situation which a lot of conflicts are uh not a lot of organization going on in somalia at that time at all by that administration uh what about anything specific while you're over there did you see anything that seemed as though it could be related to a moment where something could have noticed you and followed you back home
1: like i said there was a lot of late nights there like i said we were on gin watch there was, please forgive me. I'm trying to remember the numbers. We were about a 10 to 12-man utility squad. And, like, so we maintained the generators, the mess hall refrigerators. We ran the water purification for the showers. And uh, there could have been, but the, the one I remember is the only the one in my mind, I remember is getting in trouble because I woke the officers up, but there, there could have been,
0: mm-hmm. um, what about any relics? Did you take anything home with you? Did you buy any, um, I mean, it wasn't a chance to, really to go shopping while you're in Mogadishu. I understand. it wasn't a Kmart down the street, but as far as finding anything, uh, and bringing it home, anything like that?
1: I never thought about that, but, uh, yeah, I bought back a Somali stick. What is that? The uh, it's about a sixteen to twenty inch stick, and they would carve it. It's a, some kind of redwood that's over there indigenous. I, I I don't know what the name of it is,
0: and they would. Holy shit! It's. It didn't. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. It's, is it a? Is it? Uh, it's intricately carved with designs on it. Is that right?
1: No, this one is pretty plain. It's mostly like a spiral carving. Okay. And they would take uh, brass casing and cap each end. And I bought that from a guy when I was at the airport doing washdown on mm-hmm. well, some equipment being sent back. okay and I oh you're scared now I've had that ever since I came back
0: okay well the only uh, anything else that you brought back from that area
1: Uh, I bought some souvenirs and stuff in Mombasa Kenya
0: okay and you don't know Uh, these people you bought these items from you're just a tourist buying trinkets from the natives right bought them off the beach yeah um, because, uh, but the, the Somali stick, um, that one you bought in Somalia, correct?
1: Yes. I was nope. at the airport. We, they had to wash down facilities. Mm-hmm. We had to wash everything that left, all the equipment that left the country, because you mm-hmm. can't take the land from them. I'm I, I kind of thinking how they, they explained it to us.
0: Yeah. Well, you did kind of take the land, though. Don't you agree when you took the stick?
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. I never even thought about that, man. Okay.
0: Well, no, this is... I mean, who knows if this is a pile of shit? I mean, all we're doing is chasing down rabbit holes here to try to get you a decent night's sleep, dude, and stop seeing, you know, dark stuff. So is it possible that that stick or some other trinket souvenir from a foreign land where things like, you know, the gin lurk or things that just have attachment on them no matter where they're from. I mean, I got two dolls from Goodwill the other day and put them in the trailer to see if anything crazy will happen. So, uh, you know, anything can happen anywhere. Um, It all has to do with intent as far as I'm concerned and what kind of energy you're going to put in it. Um, So that's that's one area that we could look into. And um, you still have these items near you or with you?
1: Yes. Uh I just remodeled my studio upstairs and
0: mm-hmm.
1: I built a shadow box of I'll send you a picture. Um mm-hmm. and it was, you know, my ribbons, my medals, and then some pictures from Somalia. Mm-hmm. And I had to stick in there. And like I said, the the carved items it's like uh a, mm-hmm. a white and black uh rhino and, Mm -hmm. like, a tribal mask that I got in Mombasa.
0: Okay. Uh, What kind of mask is this? It's a tribal wooden carved mask? Yeah,
1: it's a small one. It's, like, four inches wide Mm -hmm. by probably Mm -hmm. ten inches tall.
0: Right. Okay, so, I mean, in my opinion, there's there's at least a couple different items there that are maybe trigger objects or suspect objects we don't know that I'm not saying that's what they are especially if they mean a lot to you and there's you know very unique I get it but uh, it's something we can look at and after the well I'll tell you now because there's other people listening to this that may have the same issue what I suggest is leave something near these items to listen to them to see if they have some kind of energy and that's why I suggest recording um, you know, put them in a secure area and listen for interaction auditorially. And the best way to do that is to find the quietest place you can put them away from any external sound and let them do their thing after you close the door. And so what are we waiting for? We're waiting for disembodied voices, languages we don't understand, and energetic sounds that sound like uh, knocking, taps, bangs, things of that nature. Um, and if you can, if you, you know, come away after two or three times of recording these things and they don't do anything, I would still put those objects outside of my house to see if things change for you. You don't have to sell them. You can put them in storage for a while and, you know, put a Faraday cage around them. Uh, you know, glass is one way to do that. Uh, you can cover them. Uh, with sacred objects and things of that nature. But um, that would be something uh, that I would do, you know, in my house, especially if, if we had an action like you're having and we had objects from those areas in particular with the things you're describing, that would be my number one place to go if you didn't do a ritual, if you weren't a part of any kind of, you know... Um, you know attachment and in some kind of a zone where an attachment could easily happen while you're in Mogadishu, do you see what I'm getting at?
1: Yes, and it's kind of funny you said, you know a quiet chamber. I just bought a very large gun safe a couple of weeks ago It's fully insulated yeah, there
0: you go yeah, I mean the, that'd be perfect. It might go in there with yeah i mean if you can you can do that and you can. Leave a recorder in there to see, I mean, if something happens while you're totally insulated and that object does anything at all, you hear any sound where there shouldn't be a sound and that object's near a recorder, um, then, you know, that's something you have to get rid of. You have to find a way to get rid of it properly. And I don't know what that would be. People say different things. I tend to think that you'd take these items and you bury them somewhere and forget about them uh, and get rid of them. I don't think you should burn them, but um, if they don't mean the world to you and, uh, you know, you can live without it, uh, look into that there. But the other thing I wanted to ask you too um, is what have you seen? I mean, you've experienced a lot of feelings, um, but what have you actually seen?
1: Oh, At the previous one I was talking about like what I would think the first shadow experience mm-hmm. or shadow people other than in Mogadishu. Uh was in junior high. I'm gonna say eighty three, eighty four. No, probably more eighty five. Um my best friend, his cousin had moved from In town and that summer we had, I mean, we had gone all over the place on the bikes, you know, it, you know, it's, I want to put this out there. Stranger things is me growing up. I had the exact same bike as one kid, the, the yellow banana seat.
0: Oh yeah. Classic model.
1: Oh yeah. So, my best friend's cousin was chasing this girl in her class. And we we're at her house, and we we're supposed to be home by 10. Well, that didn't happen. So, we were going to shortcut through the cemetery to get home. And this is a large farming community. We knew of all the farm roads, where the fields were, the canals. But we we're going to go through the cemetery to get home and I don't know what it was as soon as we got inside the cemetery gates about a hundred yards, my chain came off and there, it was almost a full moon. So there was enough light I could see. I got the chain back on. They're laughing and screaming at me, making fun. And I get a, Another two hundred yards, and the chain comes off again. Well, as I, I'm putting it on, I'm looking around. I see these black shadows whipping around me. They're not—they're uh, not huge, or you know. And I'm thinking, "Oh shit! We—I've just got caught up in a pack of coyotes." And I don't have uh, my gun. And I'm yelling at my buddies. I'm like, hey, hold on, there's coyotes. And they're like, ah, ah blah, blah, blah. Get the chain on again, take off, and I'm almost out of the cemetery, and the freaking thing comes off again. I get it back on, I get all the way home, and that chain never came off the rest of that summer. And they teased me about that all summer. They're like, oh, yeah, your chain comes off in the cemetery. I'm like, hey, we we rebuilt our bikes every winter, you know. It's, you know, and I, I remember that. And there was, like I told you earlier, there was kind of some guardian angel kind of things. I was after the whole pneumonia thing. That uh, I got hit by a car twice. Not a scratch on me. And in fact, I, in 70, I only remember this because my mom, this is the only story she will tell us about, was I was about five years old and I wanted to go to my dad's shop because he was working on the race car and the shop was about a mile and a half away from the house and I left. That, That was 78 you know, parenting, you know, was going kind to of, you know, come back when the, you know, the streetlights come on kind of era. And, uh, somehow I got way off course and these guys in a red truck picked me up and knew exactly where to bring me home. And I was formerly LDS. And I always remember the painting they had of Jesus in the, uh, Mm-hmm. Dirt. And my mom asked me well when they brought me home, She's like, Well, what do you look like? I said, "Like hey, Jesus. Oh wow. And then four years later we had moved from there to another place and I was riding my bike and I was you know little dumb shit and I happened to ride out into the street as a car was coming around, it was kind of a blind corner and it was a red truck. They hit me and knocked me into the ditch. And my mom said that I said the same guy pulled me out of the ditch and brought me home. You know, at at that time I was eight and a half, nine years old. And then, uh, My like junior year, I was at a, a party, and some guys started, you know, cranking up and whatever, and I was talking shit as usual, and I went to go to my truck to get something, and I heard a car revving, and as I looked over, the car was coming at me. And it, well, this let me finish this experience, and I'll tell you about a previous one. It felt like somebody grabbed me and pushed me up onto the hood, so I didn't get hit in the legs by the bumper. Mm-hmm. But off the side of the car, they took off. This leads uh, this is some after. Um, We were freshmen and we heard there was going to be a party at some ponds by the house. So me and three buddies got on a dirt bike and our three-wheeler and we drove out to the pond. We got there and it was all high school kids and they ran us off immediately. I mean, they pretty much busted our asses out of there and it was a full moon that night. And we we're coming back home, Well, we knew we had to, yeah, we were stupid. We, you know, gutted the mufflers on both the motorcycle and the three wheeler. So they are loud and we knew we had to walk the bikes about the, a mile from the house or home back to that, back home. I'm sitting on the back of the three wheeler and my buddies, he's driving. And all of a sudden, I hear something that says, jump. And I'm like, I, what? And it's the same feeling I had a couple years later. It felt like somebody grabbed me under my armpits and pulled me off the back of the three-wheeler. So me on my ass in the middle of the road, just as so I see my other buddy on the motorcycle, rear end in the three-wheeler. Because he was messing around, gunning it, and doing fish all stupid shit. And I'm like, we go and it knocks my buddy on the through door off. The other two buddies, the guy driving wasn't hurt too bad, but his cousin was on the back. I literally see him do like a, uh, flying, uh, uh, spread arms, flying, spinning in the air and the base planter right in the road. And I get up, I walk over, I'm like, dude, what the hell just happened? And the three is running. Load the cousin up on the three-wheeler. He my buddy takes him home. I get on the the motorcycle. He's kind of out of it. The steering wheel's all cranked out. And we ride home. We got oh god, we got so much trouble. And Like I said, it always seemed like there's
0: been like a guarding the usual thing. Right. I mean, you've had uh, a fair amount of protection in the first part. And then after deployment, after you're discharged, uh, we find ourselves here with, uh, you know, sleep paralysis and shadow beings and being scratched. Uh, I'm wondering why you do you have any suspicion on. Why all the protection in the beginning? And do you get any forewarning about any of these experiences? Do you do anything to protect yourself spiritually? Or what kind of steps do you take?
1: No, not really. Um, Like I said, I kind of had a falling out with the church when I was 14. And uh, the... The motorcycle 3 incident happened after that. And the uh, car trying to run me over happened after that. But There was one incident now in Somalia. I said, we would gotten in a firefight where I, I shot three rounds. And I, you, you kind of reminded me of this. We had had a uh, generator go down at Zip Bay at the embassy. And something was going on, and they were doing roadblocks and all kinds of of stuff out in town. We got to to the airport, picked up a new genset, and we're coming back, and they had kind of set up an impromptu uh, roadblock. It was some barbed wire and garbage. And the kid driving kind of, he was new, he was a PFC right out of school, shipped right over there with us. And I'd already been driven the 5-ton inducing half in Korea. So I wasn't kind of told a few things. When we get stopped in this uh, roadblock and this truck pulls up in the inner or about 250 yards away from us at the intersection, these two guys jump out. I did not hear it from anybody else, but I heard gun, gun, gun like right behind my my right ear. And as soon as we, I I turned and and looked and saw the truck is when I heard the first snap. And that's where I went to yelling, uh, gun, 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 taking fire, taking fire. So we dropped down on the bed of the the five-ton and I hear the kid trying to work the gears on the truck and everything. we're yelling, go, go, go. And something hits the wood in the bed about three foot away from me up high. And that's when I jump up, my buddy Bell, he jumps up. And just as we as he the guy gets through the roadblock, I pop off three rounds, like, pop, pop, pop. And I don't know if we if the guys are just scared' them. we saw people and drop, but we were gone after that, so I don't even i said we got back and I got in trouble again mm-hmm.
0: right yeah well there's um there's a lot here to to suspect you know something happening while you were overseas, but not necessarily do we know anything? other than the fact that this is prevalent all over the world, Somalia or otherwise, Detroit, you know, Michigan, Oregon, doesn't matter. It's everywhere. And sleep paralysis, um, you know, has physical consequences to it. People end up not only seeing things, but experiencing physical harm and injuries from, uh, being attacked in their sleep and, um, You know, your wife may not have been privy to this yet, but it sounds like a matter of time because as things progress with this, uh, loved ones eventually do come around uh, most of the time and experience this in concert with their partner or see something. And maybe, do you suspect that she has seen something or experienced something and just isn't? able to tell you about it or where were you at with that or do you want to say
1: i'm not sure but uh, since about after the december stuff she doesn't sleep in the same room
0: okay she oh, sleeps so. with my
1: daughter she just knows that she wants mommy sleeping with her
0: okay gotcha and so is she there yeah. every night and you're alone in bed Pretty much. Okay. Well, that's tough, man. I mean, even if your daughter's um, having issues, it's still, you know, it's not by design. It's very difficult to to watch happen. So, um, but you guys are close. You don't feel yourself growing apart because of that?
1: No. Okay. It's just, it's kind of, you know... Mm-hmm. We don't want to be the helicopter parents, right? Kind of thing. But when you know, that's kind of affecting her because mm-hmm. you got a kind of bad ones at school, do other things, right? Uh, it, I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll have to listen to some ways to kind of broach in the questions, you know, mm-hmm. what's scaring me kind of thing.
0: Well, how old like, is she? Nine, yeah. Is she drawing at all? Do you, does she draw? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, she she's not falling apart from the daddy tree. Okay. So you, you mentioned that your daughter has had trouble sleeping. Your wife is now staying with your daughter because she's having trouble sleeping. You fear that maybe she uh, might be seeing something familiar to what you're seeing. Um, and she she does draw with crayons or pencils or whatever. Um, is it possible you could get her to maybe draw what's scaring her without asking her to draw anything in particular? Or, you know, draw what's troubling her, what keeps her awake? I can do that.
1: I know not what you're talking about. I'm...
0: Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, how a psychologist would work with a kid. And, uh, you know, just keep it light and simple and, um, you know, don't fill their head with anything. Just let them, let the crayons do the talking and, uh, maybe you'll come away with something, but, um, Hey, my guest today has been Charles Ward. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Charles. And, uh, I hope that, uh, we got to some areas here that may help in the future. Um, don't leave the line. I want to talk to you after the show here, if you don't mind. Do you have a second after the show?
1: Oh, yeah. No, no, I appreciate it, so because I've. this is the first time I've ever really talked about a lot of this.
0: Yeah, it's not, I mean, what you're talking about is super difficult to talk about in general. Um, you know, and it's not fun to talk about either. So it's not like it's a, you know, a cool cryptid we're talking about or you know, super remote control powers or anything like that. So, uh, hold on the line, Charles. And, um, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. And, um, I hope we, uh, follow up after a conversation here. Okay. Okay. I
1: appreciate you
0: having me. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. All right. Thanks again to Charles Ward for his time. And like I said, this will be most likely, uh, a revisit and a second interview coming along because of the connection of uh, the possible connection of the item that he had there, which was a road that, you know, we didn't plan on taking. But that's, you know, what these conversations amount to. Also, I'm planning on doing a sit-down interview, a follow-up with Keith Linder, who is only a ferry ride away, but because of the way things are so shaped right now, which is pear shaped to the nth degree. Uh, if I can sit down with Keith Linder and talk about the Bothell Hell House and his uh, upcoming book, um, I would like to also have that available as a video, and that would be on Patreon. dot com forward slash Strange Brow Radio. Which, if you have a chance to check out, there is a lot up there, lots of video, lots of podcast uh, that you haven't heard of yet either. And the hidden content at the end of these broadcasts is only the tip of the iceberg. What if you're missing out on whole other material at patreon.com forward slash strangebrowradio. Also check out the website at strangebrowradio.com. And if you would like to be a guest, all you got to do is hop on your digital device and write me an email. At strangebrowradio at gmail.com. B-R-A-U is how you spell brow And as I alluded to last episode uh, Eventually I am moving everything All the updates, all the stuff Back to a website Because I feel like social media is going to be hit really hard Coming up in 2021 And I just want to get ahead of the game So it will be a little more difficult to share information on social media, in my opinion, from what I've seen so far. And the topics we discuss may just be just too damn taboo. So they come after my website, and then we've got a First Amendment issue. I don't think we necessarily do, as long as they write the contracts. So open discussion at strangebrowradio at gmail.com. And it'll be the same old thing, except you'll be m- way more interaction if you want to. And if someone wants to keep a Facebook page alive in 2021, they certainly can by creating one, a fan page or whatever. But that's uh, I'm going to leave that up to somebody else. But still doing updates. Um, oh, I'll give you another uh, a news update here too regarding Hilda and Bobby's dollhouse. Now, if you go on soundcloud and type in strange brow radio you'll find hilda or helda and bobby's dollhouse and these are just gimmick dolls that i picked up at saint vincent de paul like in the dollar bin they had weird looks on their face and one looks like a dutch little girl and the other one's a, a blonde porcelain doll missing a thumb a little boy in pajamas with like a giraffe stitched on there. Really creepy. And uh, I was sticking in them in a secure location with a recorder to see if we can get activity more than just knocks, rap, sounds, hits, slaps. So last night I took it to a different level. And you can listen to the archive sounds in there. I did a compilation of what the hell I'm talking about. But I'm not going to just put up knocks, hits, rap sounds up on SoundCloud it takes too much time to, to find them all. And I'm looking for the mother of all things, which would be uh, whether or not we can get language or an EVP or an app or something appearing in and around the trailer like we did at the Al Moon Lab. And it just hasn't happened yet. Now, what I did different last night is I added water into the mix, a jug, like a two-gallon jug of water, and set my recorder up there with a crystal... And some copper wire wrapped around the crystal, and a piece of mount tum tum stuck in a wine glass next to these dolls, and I got audio of what sounded like the jug being hit, the jug of water being flicked, and that 's what I was hoping for because it's a very distinct sound, so let me play you the sound of uh, what I'm talking about here now this is a really secure locked up uh, just a you know 15 foot 20 foot long trailer and there's nothing in there no signs of critters at all so something flick this jug of water and it may not mean so much to you but I think I know what it means let me uh, let me play this sound for you Now, of course, there's a lot of other sounds on there. I'm just not going to play them because I've already recorded sounds like that before, and they're unnecessary to understanding the conversation here about trying to amp things up. We're waiting for something else to occur, and that really is something else because that sound has never been recorded before. And um, there's no moth wings big enough to provide a sound like that, which... At this point, would it would be the only thing I would suspect is, is funny business sneaking into this locked trailer. But stay tuned for more updates from Hilda and Bobby's Dollhouse, only on SoundCloud at com, And there may be some video stuff, too, because I'm going to keep leaving out a laser grid with a camera rolling, which I was shocked at how long a 4K iPhone camera will record for plugged in, I think uh, I got a solid two and a half, three hours out of uh, 4K footage off a 64 gig camera. And uh, although I didn't see anything last night, we're showing, uh, we'll we'll just keep marching along. Okay, and don't forget, also upcoming is uh, this new show coming out regarding the scientific flesh and blood answer to the Sasquatch conundrum. If you would like to be interviewed or know of a hot spot and want to talk about flesh and blood answers with scientists who are eager eager to talk to you get in touch with me at strangebrowradio at gmail.com and i will forward you on to the producer all right that's it everyone have a great rest of the week and i will see you in the tree.